Hello, today my guest is Dr. Drew Fautner. Excuse me, Dr. Fautner is board certified in neurology and is a fellowship trained movement disorder specialist. He's the director of the ANOVA Parkinson's and Movement Disorders Center and specializes in advanced care of patients with Parkinson's disease, essential tremor, dystonia, Huntington's disease, tick disorders, and other movement disorders. He is uniquely qualified in the area of deep brain stimulation and botulin toxin injections. Dr. Fountner speaks nationally on various topics in movement disorders and is a respected national educator in Parkinson's disease and DBS. Please welcome Dr. Drew Fountner. Dr. Fountner, I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you, Teresa. It's, um, it's really good to be here. It's always fun to talk with you and it's always fun to talk about Parkinson's. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy fellow with your clinic, and so we'll go ahead and get started right away. The first thing I would like to um, ask you about is the modern approach to treatment. There's so many different ways that there are to treat patients with Parkinson's, and so I know since that's your specialty, why don't you help us with that? Sure, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to bring up. It's a wonderful, uh, it's actually a positive story, and the reason why is because we have spent as a community of scientists and providers the past 40 years trying to uncover the reasons and the whys of Parkinson's, which we've done, and try to create therapies that are used to address those issues. And th that's the beauty of treating Parkinson's in 2020 versus even 10 years ago. We have a number of tools at our disposal now in terms of better medications, in terms of technology, that are things that 20 years ago we would have all thought is just some sci-fi project. And the beauty of it is, is that with every new agent that we have that comes out, every new technology, it's all coming to give us the opportunity to fix an unmet need in Parkinson's. So to answer your question most simplistically, there is a gulf a mile wide between how we used to treat Parkinson's disease and probably how we should, which is how we do today. And the whole approach has changed drastically in even 10 years. We used to be very limited in Parkinson's by the agents at our disposal. And nowadays we have over 20 different medications and tools that are all geared towards fixing this on a fundamental level. And that fundamental level, don't forget, is just a chemical deficiency in the brain. I tell patients Parkinson's is not a structural problem at all. We're not dealing with a stroke, we're not dealing with a tumor, we're not dealing with a permanent mass or something that we can't fix. This is a chemical problem. You take that laundry list of problems and it all boils down to the failure point being a reduced level of dopamine in the brain. I tell folks all the time, they're like a car driving around with an empty tank of gas and the gas that we have to put in that tank is dopamine. And the problem is the vast majority of patients, according to Michael J. Fox Foundation, 80%, are maintained only on classic carbidopa levodopa from 1968, a fantastic chemical, a drug that revolutionized how we treated Parkinson's. The problem with it is not so much the chemical, it's how long it lasts in your system and how it works. It's a very strong, short-acting, impulsatile medication. It only lasts in your system for about three to four hours. So we, the old paradigm of treating Parkinson's was very reliant on the foundation being carbidopa levodopa and only carbidopa levodopa. And if it wasn't lasting long enough, you take it more frequently. And if it's not enough, you take more. The problem is you're talking about treating a long acting problem with short acting medication. 
And so what happens? Sure, I can make you better if you take classic Cinemet every two hours. You're just going to bounce up and down in terms of the pharmacokinetics of that medicine with the peaks being too high, with dyskinesia and other side effects, and then rapidly wearing off. That's what people think about when they think about Parkinson's. These folks that have real mobility issues fluctuate a lot in their day and they whipsaw between highs and lows. That was the best we could do circa 1995. All of the medicines for the past 30 years that have come out are all designed to fix a chemical problem in smoother, more predictable, and more consistent ways. And so really, I don't, my job is not that hard. I take patients who for most of the time are on very much older medicines. And I just think about it as a chemical problem. I think if your symptoms are coming out, then the medicine's failing you, your tank is low. If, you're, if you have side effects, the tank's too high. And that creates a pattern during the day. And then all we do is take very short acting and pulsatile medicines and change to things that are longer, smoother, more predictable, using once daily medicines and blowing technology if we need to with no more complex premise then you are deficient in dopamine at eight in the morning, like you are at eight at night, like you are at two in the morning. And if we're not filling that tank all the time in a smooth way, then that's the low hanging fruit of what we can fix to get you living better with Parkinson's. And that's why having a specialist like me is really important because this is all I do five days a week. I know these tools. We, again, we have 24 of them. I tell folks that the limitation isn't necessarily there's nothing we can do. The limitation actually is that there's so many options on what to do next to fix this that we kind of have to pick one and try. And so having someone who knows these tools and how they work really helps because the new paradigm is on trying to use different medicines together to fix this dopamine deficiency in as smooth, predictable of a way we can, and then identify when it's failing you and come up with a plan to address that directly. And because of that, people do better. I mean, if you look at the data uh, existing only on classic carvedopa, levodopa, we would give people a good five to six years before those fluctuations of the medicine would become really an issue. And we see that every day. We, I talk still with general neurologists who, who live that, who it's that five to six year mark when the limitations of that older agent start to become apparent. And don't think that's anything wrong with you. That's just that after five or six years, your body is becoming beholden and dependent on the pharmacokinetics of an old medicine. So you're living on the highs and lows of a medicine that lives you on highs and lows. And so in our clinic, and we tell our med students this all the time, our job is just to take folks from the 60s to 2020. And for most people, they can't help but get better. Well, I think it's really interesting, and you mentioned that it's not that hard, but in fact, um, it is very complicated yeah. and takes a lot of education. You know, I, I had a personal experience before I, I came to you and started seeing you where um, my medication was not regulated uh, according to how it needed to be for me, and I had right out of the gate terrible dyskinesia, which should not happen, I would think, for somebody that's got a mild case of Parkinson's in the beginning or was early stage. Um, so I, I appreciate all your knowledge and, and your willingness to share with your patients and not just your patients, but anybody that needs help in this area. I also appreciate your um, openness and willingness to work with community neurologists that, you know, maybe there's someone that just can't get to you for whatever reason. Maybe it's, you know, logistics of the location and how you 
coordinate with neurologists in their communities to make sure that they're receiving the best care that they can. So I, I appreciate you. I wanted to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. It's it's just so important because the one of the big things, one of the big pitfalls that people fall in is trying to translate other people's experience into their own. Everybody has a different walk with this. Everybody has a different journey with this thing called Parkinson's. You get 15 people in a room with Parkinson's, you have 15 different stories, 15 right. different onsets, 15 different medication responses. The important thing to remember is two things. One, we have to treat every person for who they are. We have to take their experience and adapt to it, be adaptable and be a team in adapting to find the way to make you better. And number two, you can never lose sight of hope. There is hope out there, friends. There is, There are always different options and different approaches to try to fix those things that are holding you back with this condition. But to do all of that, you have to have a team around you that's gonna walk the walk with you. And that is so important. That's why our mission as our center, and it, it comes from how I just live my life, is that it's not about me, it's not about anything under the sun except for getting you better. And so we work with your local neurologist because we want to. It's all part of the, the web that's built around you to make you better. We work with your family, your, your rehab team, We've got to get you better by focusing on you. Well, I appreciate that. And I uh, feel fortunate that I'm able to actually see you in person. But I do appreciate the nuances, especially with COVID. And I'd like to talk about COVID here in just a little bit. Um, how it's kind of changed our world today and how people are being seen by their movement disorder specialist or their general neurologist um, closer to home if that's their case. It's interesting, you're talking about if you have 15 people that have Parkinson's, then you have 15 people with Parkinson's. It's not, you know, a, a one size fits all sort of thing. And when I first was diagnosed, I remember hearing people refer to it as a boutique disease or a snowflake. And I think what beautiful uh, words to describe such a, you know, not so beautiful disease. And that mindset for me personally, um, I know has had a really big impact on how I see day to day um, and how I, you know, just go about my day and, and try to make sure that I'm thriving with not just surviving, but I'm thriving with Parkinson's. And, and I think that is the story of hope that there is hope and that you can thrive, but you do need the team and you need at the head of the team, you need someone that's very knowledgeable, such as yourself as a movement disorder specialist. I'd like to transition this now, if that's okay. Medicine is, is critically important, but medicine allows us to um, participate in other types of non-medical things that can help the person living with Parkinson's a lot. And so if you would just share with us, what, what are some of those other things that are considered non-medical? It, yes, and it's an important conversation to have, and it's a it's a important reminder that on the medical front, we can do a lot. We can do wonderful things nowadays that we couldn't do 10 years ago, but that's only half of the equation. Remember, for you to be able to live with Parkinson's instead of living despite Parkinson's, you have to work on it on your own too. I can get your brain chemically in a great place with the tools at my disposal, but unless you are taking care of yourself, and both physically and mentally, I can only do so much. And so I, I always stress, and it's really important because it, it affects me and I don't have Parkinson's. If I don't do these things, I feel worse. So imagine having a deficiency of a very important hormone like dopamine, it magnifies simple things that we can do to make you better. And what I mean by that is number one, you have to exercise. 
Exercise is such an important part of life. It's an important part of being a mobile being. It's important a part of dealing with Parkinson's. Exercise naturally makes your brain release extra dopamine, that thing at the root cause problem of Parkinson's. It makes your brain overproduce serotonin, norepinephrine, all these neurotransmitters that I can give to you artificially, but you get extra of it for free by exercise. It makes your body more fit, cardiovascularly you're better, your mobility is better. There are study after study after study that exercise is the most powerful way to slow down the progression of Parkinson's. And it's the most effective way to keep you out of a wheelchair. There are studies dating back from the 70s showing that. The point to that is you have to exercise. And any type of exercise is good, even if you just go take a walk around the block. But I really, I challenge my patients. I want you to walk. I want you to get mobile. I want you to be safe doing it. But I also need to get you stronger. So if, if when you're exercising, you're not getting your heart rate up and you're not sweating a little bit and, and getting a little bit out of breath, you might not be exercising to your full potential. I want you to push things a little bit safely because part of it isn't just maintaining, part of it is building cardiovascular health, strength on down. And do every, every kind of exercise you can. Right now, we're, we're all stuck at home. Dedicate yourself to it. Spend four to five days a week, an hour a day, doing something. Cardiovascular, weight training, balance training is wonderful. Yoga, Tai Chi, you need it. And you might, the honest truth is, caution, caution, for the first week or two, you might actually feel a little worse. If you haven't exercised before, that's the great trade-off, is that you have to get in shape before you feel in shape, right? So it takes a few weeks to build up that benefit. But I promise you, you stick with it three to four weeks later, you are going to feel better. In fact, that whole runner's high that people talk about is nothing more than an extra burst of dopamine given to your brain. Dopamine, same thing at the root cause of Parkinson's. So you got to exercise. Number two, you got to eat well. Living on a high fat, um, high salt diet, you're just going to feel bad. If you live on a bowl of pasta three times a day, you're going to feel tired, bloated, crampy, and slow. No matter who you are, you need a good balanced diet. I, I tend to push for that, that Mediterranean type diet. Get a lot of fruits and nuts in, in your meals, a lot of good natural fibers. Fish is wonderful for you. If you love cheeseburgers, don't sacrifice what you love, but all good things in moderation. You got to eat well. And the final thing is you got to sleep well. So sleeping is incredibly important to every level of our functioning. Sleeping is when our brain recovers and restores. Sleeping is when you build up energy for the day. If you are not sleeping well at night, or if you're going to bed late watching TV and on your phone and then waking up early, I promise you a good portion of why you don't feel great is probably because of your sleep habits. I always recommend to folks, don't put any screens in the, in the bedroom, no TVs, keep your phone away. The blue light from screens tells your brain to wake up and it affects your sleep cycle. Have the same routine every night. Read a good book, go to sleep, try to sleep through the night. And if you have any issues sleeping, any issues, bring that up with your doctor because there are things associated with Parkinson's on down that can affect your sleep cycle. And unless we know about it, we can't address it to get your sleep better. But I think if you really focus on tuning up exercise, diet, and sleep, those are three incredibly powerful and enabling things that you can do where you give it up two months. And I promise you, if you're not better tending to those, I'll send you a dollar through the mail. All right. Well, I think you'll be able to keep your dollar. You know, I think um, I always tell people I exercise today so I have a better tomorrow. 
-hmm. And I, I think about um, kind of like a, a stool. You know, it has three, a three-legged mm -hmm. stool. If you knock one of the legs out, whether it's your sleep, your diet, or your exercise, you know, you're going to not be as balanced. And they all kind of relate. If I don't sleep, I have trouble exercising. If I don't eat right, I have trouble exercising. And I think it's interesting, and it's not lost on me, and you alluded to this, that, you know, any time somebody is dealing with some type of disease, are you, do you have cardiac disease? Do you have cancer? Are you obese? All of those things, what do they tell you? Exercise and watch your diet. And as we exercise and build more strength, it also helps us to have a stronger core. Our gait is better. We decrease our uh, chances of falling. So it's all connected. And I think that those are really, really important pieces of information into the um, process of staying well and thriving with Parkinson's. So thank you for sharing that. And one more thing, I, I just yeah. want to reiterate how empowering that is. Because I, I get asked 10 times a day, what can I do? And most people, it's just the honest truth, want the pill that they can take to make them better. Yeah. And I, I get that. I mean, that's easy. But I tell everybody every time I can, what can you do to be better? Yes, let's fix the medicine, be compliant, communicate with your doctor. But you got to work on those things that your mother always told you would just make you better. And until you do that, we can really only do so much. But it should be an empowering thing because you can do it right? It's not waiting for me to message back about a pill and how it's going to work. You can start today eating better and exercising and trying to work on sleep. And that will make you better no matter what you got. Absolutely. Like you said. Absolutely. So the uh, world is dealing with COVID and I hate to transition us to COVID, but I think it's an important subject. And I get asked a lot as I present to different places, you know, do people with Parkinson's have autoimmune disease? How does that work? So I think this is a great opportunity for you to share how, how, do, how do people with Parkinson's um, deal with COVID? What, what do we need to know? And how do we best take care of ourselves? Sure, ab absolutely. And it's, it's so incredibly important right now because we're we're all we're all in the middle of that second wave of things that we've been predicting uh, because of the seasons are changing because the hospitals are actually filling up with the usual things that in December afflict the hospital plus COVID is is rearing its head more than it has in months. So COVID with Parkinson's is really a double-edged sword and that's the challenge but if you find the middle ground with what I'm about to say I think we can you'll be fine. So one don't think that COVID is a death sentence. It's an important basic point on which to build how you stay safe. The idea that, it, that everyone ends up that way is not the truth. So I don't want you to lock your doors and tape the seams and be absolutely avoidant of the world. Now, yes, having Parkinson's disease is a chronic illness that affects mobility, that affects breathing, that affects everything. And with the average age of onset of Parkinson's being 65, we're dealing with my patients in a population that are usually older than 65, right? By that basis alone, uh, COVID-19 is of higher risk to you than me being how I am without Parkinson's disease under the age of 65. Remember, my age is still a state secret, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, here's the deal. You got to be safe. got to wash your hands, wear a mask. Don't go to huge gatherings. Try not to go socialize on a big scale. And then you should be fine. 
Now I can tell you, and this is not to make you feel overly safe, but in our clinic, I remember our center takes care of about 2000 Parkinson's patients. I think I take, but as of last year, I was at about 800 myself. Um, I've had many, many patients who've had COVID. Um, and the vast, vast majority, even with Parkinson's disease over the age of 60, are doing fine. There are extenuating circumstances, and we don't want you to get it, so you've got to be safe. But I say that only because I don't want that other edge of the sword to start to re re rear its head. And that's the, the issues with isolation, mm -hmm. lack of mobility, lack of exercise, and the mental health that's just going away right now. It breaks my heart. I get on Zoom calls with patients who haven't left their assisted living room in months. They look like, I half joke that they look like Tom Hanks at the end of Castaway when he's been talking to the, the volleyball for, for three years. It's not okay. Right. We are taking a population of, of people who are older. So just the honest truth of life, you're dealing with a shortening years left and we're telling them they got to give a year up. So I don't think that's okay. And I don't think that trading a risk of COVID for the unbelievable detriment of social isolation, of no exercise, of no therapy, of nothing, I don't think that's fair. I think we're killing people in a different way. Mm. So, and I mean that because, because I care. This is what I do, and it breaks my heart to see these folks. So my point is we have to view this as the double-edged sword that it is. One, it's not an absolute risk if you do anything. If you, if you judge everything by zero risk standard, you won't ever do anything in life. There is risk, but you've got to be safe and smart about it. And number two, we can't just isolate ourselves from the social network, from the exercise, from all the things that make us happy. Otherwise, we're then a prisoner of choice. And so what you need to do is be safe. If you're going to go out, wear a mask, wash your hands. Don't wear gloves, just wash your hands. That's my two cents. People who wear gloves that they've shown, and you see them at the grocery, will still touch their face and do things. Then they throw the gloves away and don't wash their hands. Wearing gloves is actually a, a false safety net. Just go out, and if you're not wearing gloves, it actually tells you, it, it cues you to not touch your face and to wash your hands. Do the safe things, but find a way to stay social. Zoom works. Go to see your friends through Zoom. Go have a socially distant gathering with people, small groups exercise. You can go walking, you can go outside, even if you bundle up, find ways around the house or the apartment to lift things. There's all kinds of great ways to do this. In fact, if you sign up for our newsletter, we're constantly putting out ways for people to stay active at home. But the point is we can't fall victim of COVID just like we can't fall victim to isolation and all of the terribleness that goes along with that. Yeah, isolation is a, a real thing that I'm, I think people are starting to acknowledge it and realize, oh, this is, this is bad. Um, I think one thing that I hear that maybe you can clear up is, in my understanding, is that Parkinson's people are not autoimmune deficient, but they are more prone to pneumonia. And since COVID is a um, pulmonary type or respiratory type disease or virus, um, that scares people. And yes. so to your point, to stay safe, you know, make sure where you're going, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your hands off your face. But I think if I'm correct, and if I'm not, please correct me. My understanding is that people living with Parkinson's do not have autoimmune disorder. Correct. Yep. Okay. It's not an autoimmune disorder. And yes, 
more prone to pneumonia, but to a degree. Okay. Usually the people who are susceptible to pneumonia on down are the folks that are older who are weakened in other ways too. So what I, what I talk to my 60-year-old patients the same as my 85-year-old patients, no. Your own situation, your own comorbid issues, right? and seeing the, the totality of what's affecting me raised to the bar of being really at risk. If you're 87 with diabetes, uh, car had four stents and cardiac issues, you're overweight with uh, Parkinson's, you're in a different place than the person who's maybe even 85 years old with none of those issues. Right. But again, even that person, if you're 87, how can I tell you to take a year of your life and just lock yourself away? That's right. not fair. So you right. still have to figure out how to do the things that make you happy. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. If you're not finding enjoyment in this thing called life, then we're missing the mark on what it's for. Agreed. Well said. So we're nearing our, the end of our time. First off, I want to just thank you so much for being with me today. And I, you provide so much pertinent information to the listeners. And I uh, want you to know that I'd like to have you back at another time because there's so many different things that we could talk about. But before we leave today, I'd like to give you just a quick moment to talk about Anova's Parkinson's uh, Movement Disorder Center. It has made a huge difference sure. in my life. And for people in our area, um, I, I would just like to give you an opportunity to have a shout out about that. Thank you. And that's kind of you to say. Look, we built the Innova Movement Disorder Center uh, with really the idea that the biggest barrier that myself and Dr. Rogers, who founded this center back in 2015, which seems like yesterday, but wasn't, um, the biggest barrier we saw was access to care. So we both, Dr. Rogers and I trained at Georgetown with all the beauties of an academic center. And we, we realized that there's this wonderful health system in Northern Virginia, the Innova Health System, who didn't have movement disorders. And so what we did was we created a center that was based in the Northern Virginia area, based in the Innova footprint, that has every aspect of a high level academic center, except in the community. We're nearby, we're accessible, we're approachable. You message me and you'll probably hear back from me on my chart within an hour or two. We have built our center around the patient. We built it on the idea that specialty care that really high level movement disorder care doesn't have to be unattainable. It can be the thing that is part of your daily life on nothing more than having a doctor who is dedicated to you and spending their time with you. And then we built out from there into the footprint of Northern Virginia, uh, the ability to have every aspect of your, what I like to call your medical home, all those things that surround you to help you all within our center. And so we have now four doctors that all we do five days a week is high level movement care. We're all movement disorder specialists, me, Dr. Rogers, Dr. Walters, and Dr. Whitney. Uh, we're based all through Northern Virginia, Alexandria, Fairfax, Fair Oaks, and now in Gainesville. And we're again, I've been pushing for this for years, talking about a satellite location in Loudoun County. We're trying to bring high level care to you where all we do all week is treat patients. Now with that, we also have Sonia Gao, who's a rock star, who runs our outreach and communications and education side of the house. Please sign up for our newsletter, go to our Facebook page. We are running webinars probably once a week right now 
on various topics in Parkinson's disease that you can show up anytime. We, we send them out nationally. Anybody can come. There's no sign up necessary. Our mission is you. And so do it because we, we are, we're educating. Education is key. And we have PTOT speech at all these facilities that are based around you. We're doing as many deep brain stimulators as Georgetown does. We are humming and we are growing and are doing it because we have made everything about the patient. So if you need a movement specialist, if you're in the area, I mean, Dr. Walters has openings three weeks from now. And on top of that, with, with us being virtual like this, you don't have to come in. We do most of our new patient visits uh, through Zoom. In fact, from the beginning of COVID in March to now, we've, we've, done, we've seen about, not, I think, 900, 950 new patients to our center. Um, and 95% of those are virtual and people are getting better. That's the beauty of it. So the That's silver lining of this is now we're more accessible than ever. And with our two younger specialists who are only two years out of training, who are awesome, we have availability. So you can get in to see a specialist in a few weeks. It's a beautiful thing. I think that's great. I know across the United States, that's not always the case. Um, I, I know on a personal basis that sometimes that's not the case. Um, one, one final thought that I'd like for you to talk about um, is you guys do research. And I'm not sure that people understand that or are aware of that because they think research, academic center. But you yep. guys are right up there doing research. So if you'll just share with that and then we can close. Oh, yeah. and, uh, thanks again. Absolutely. So a very good point. Uh, so our center, because of our patient base, because of our, the amount of specialists we have in Parkinson's, we are a, a high level center for, our, for research. Currently, we have seven act, full-time active clinical trials on new developed therapeutics for Parkinson's disease. Beyond that, we have, we're in talks for three more right now, so that'll put us at 11. These are all the agents that in five or six years are gonna become the standard of care. And so we're always looking to recruit. So if anyone has any interest in research, come talk to us. We have the next generation of carvedopa levodopa agent that we're a clinical trial site for. We're for. We have two trials for early onset or new Parkinson's disease therapies. And on down, we have all kinds of, of studies. It's a beautiful thing. And it's nice because it allows us to fulfill that academic mission, but in the community, right? And so you can come to us for your specialty care and help give back to the community of patients that will benefit from these drugs that in five or six years we'll be able to use. Because remember, the 20 new drugs that we have that are making people's lives better are available because 30 years ago or 10 years ago, people participated in trials to prove it. So we are that site. We've got seven of them and they're really fun trials too. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today and all the information that you've been so willing to share. And I do hope you'll join me again sometime in the in the coming year. Happy all right. to do it. It was a pleasure.